HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by EscapeMaker.com. Visit a farm. Escape through the net. Visit EscapeMaker.com for more. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. On air every week on The Farm Report, we talk about food, uh, how it gets made, how it gets to you, and what we should be thinking about uh, along along that line. Off air, I am the executive director of the Heritage Radio Network, and um, today we are joined in the studio by Courtney Epton, who is the Director of Education for City Growers. Welcome to the studio. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. So City Growers, you guys do um, kind of programming and education for K-12 through students in Brooklyn and Queens, partnering with uh, Urban Farms. Yeah, so we offer farm workshops for NYC youth on the Brooklyn Grange rooftop farms, which are the largest soil-based rooftop farms in the world, actually. And the farms grow vegetables, which are sold to restaurants. Uh, within five miles, I believe, they grow, they have a CSA, they have a farmer's market, they have chickens, um, and it's just really the perfect learning laboratory for students. And you have an education background as well, is that right? Yeah, I was a teacher for eight years in the New York City public school system. I was a third grade teacher on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. So how did you get involved with City Growers? So my eighth year teaching, actually, my co-teacher at the time knew of this program in Vermont that is called Farms for City Kids, and it's in Springbrook, Springbrook Farms where city kids grow and live and work on a dairy farm for a week. Oh, wow. Um, So we applied and we were accepted. And in order to prepare our kids for the visit, we actually went on a city growers field trip. Um, And I was just blown away. I'd never been on a rooftop farm, never thought about a rooftop farm. And then a couple weeks weeks later, we went to Vermont with our kids, with our third graders, um, who just 
worked on a dairy farm for a week and we saw so much we saw new kids essentially we saw we were a ctt classroom which is a collaborative team teaching classroom which means half of our students were special education students and half were general education students and our students that were always thought to have um you know greater needs in the classroom just soared in that environment where they were applying what they learned as they learned it um and it just was really eye-opening to me the kids were asking more questions than they ever had um and so i began to make the transition and i started as a city growers intern and which is how all city growers employees begin and just really haven't looked back it's a different way of teaching and it's great yeah, I was. Um, we were out uh, in Colorado a couple weeks ago and got to speak with uh, Dr. Temple Grandin, and that was one of the subjects that she brought up a number of times was um, how how scared she is about the kind of shrinking space for kids to have interactive experiences in school, whether that's like uh, home ec classes or shop classes or or research, uh, recess. And she said basically that same thing that like some students just do better in other environments. Well, for folks who haven't been to one of the Brooklyn Grange farms, maybe we should kind of paint the picture a little bit. Um, what, what, like when you walk up to the space, uh, the building that the farm is, maybe we'll focus on the one in Long Island City. What's it kind of like look like? And, and what do you kind of like, what do you hear from the kids? If you can kind of just like give us a little bit of a tour from street level and then up onto the farm. Sure. And this is actually one of my favorite parts of my job is bringing kids up. So in Long Island City, the kids walk up six flights of stairs to the farm and they open a door and everything's just right there. They see the skyline of the city, they see a lot of them come from schools in Queens, so they see where they live or where they see the trains and the bridges, and then they just see a sea of green, and it's just vegetables as far as the eye can see, sunflowers popping up that are larger than me many times, certainly larger than the kids. Um, and we begin to walk down a repurposed, pick a huge picnic table that was from repurposed wood, and um, a farmer station, often they'll walk past farmers washing vegetables, preparing vegetables for the farmer's market or for their CSA. Um, and they'll just see farmers out in the field and they just begin to ask questions. They see flowering okra and they see kohlrabi, which maybe they've never seen before. Um, and during their visit with city growers, we spend some time with the chickens. We go by the compost stations and talk about what composting is and why it's important. They get to hold the worms. Um, and they just, they, they walk up to the farm and they just go, wow. <laughs> um, so obviously you have a background in education, but did you know anything about growing stuff? Not so much. Um, that's a part of, that's the other favorite part of my job, which is that I learn something new every day. I'm, uh, a new beekeeper this year. So I am taking care of our bees, which are an integral part of our programming as well. Um, and yeah, I'm learning on the job. I have a garden, so I've grown some food in my backyard in Sunset Park, but um, it's a big part of my job, which is learning what's going on on the farm. But really my job at City Growers is as a facilitator. I'm not a farmer. I'm an educator, and my job is really developing curriculum and spending time with the kids and getting them to ask the important questions. How did the organization get started? 
So in 2010, the Brooklyn Grange was built in Long Island City, um, and there was no education program at the time. But the farmers were quickly inundated with requests from schools to come visit, and I think they quickly realized the potential for something great. So in 2011, I believe, City Growers was founded, um, and at that time, it was our executive director, Kara, giving tours to large groups of children, and it was just her. And since then, City Growers has grown uh, exponentially. So the following year, um, there were two employees giving farm workshops, and our workshops went from sort of passive tours to more hands-on, intensive, inquiry-based workshops where the kids are getting their hands dirty, whether or not their teachers approve, they're tasting foods, they're holding worms. Um, this year, for the first year, we are we had a full year-round after-school program with students in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn, um, where they would come up to the farm twice a week. We had programming in their classroom twice a week, and then on Fridays went on urban expeditions around the city. Um, and we're continuing to grow, and that's sort of we're in the middle of our spring campaign, which you know, and um, one of the things we're, we're looking to raise money for is developing programs so that we can go in and help schools set up their own gardens and run workshops with them and help bridge the gap for teachers who are, you know, sort of struggling teaching English over here and reading over here and writing over here and math over here and giving them sort of the conduit to be teaching about this really important topic, food and education around food, um, and seamlessly integrating their curriculum into that focus. Um, and we're also developing programming or we're developing our farmer in the classroom residency, which is winter workshops where we bring materials to the teachers to do kind of what Temple Grandin must have been talking about in Colorado, um, getting kids' hands dirty, getting them to ask questions, and getting them to learn on the spot, you know, not from a book necessarily or not from someone speaking at them. So you hear this a lot that there that, um, you know, school gardens or even like students getting engaged with uh, school lunch programs. We um, I've been talking a lot on this show about uh, Inside School Food, which is another one of our, our programs on the radio network. And I toured uh, PS 34 with Laura Stanley, who's the host of that show last week. And and we were up there looking at the school is developing kind of a composting program around the, the trays. The, and then they have these like special trays or one of like New York is one of five cities in the country that is using these, these compostable trays to as an education tool. And I think um, as an adult and as someone who's like not an educator, I want to hear like words like curriculum development um, you know, I'm like, okay, I understand like teaching kids like what actually like compost is, but can you talk about like, what are the like other like ancillary lessons there? Like how is using something, um, like a composting program or a growing program? How is that English? How is that math? How is that geography? Sure. So composting is a great example. We, this year actually set up a bunch of compost bins in classrooms around Brooklyn and Queens. Um, and so what you're doing is you're introducing this concept to kids. So they are learning vocabulary related to this concept, but it's vocabulary that you can, it's cross-curricular, right? So we're talking about waste. What does waste look like? There's human waste. There's animal waste. Right now we're talking about waste that can be 
broken down and reused, right? So that there's your vocabulary connection. You're, you're getting kids to talk, which is a big part of our programming. So right now I'm talking a lot, but on the farm and in these workshops, I try to talk as little as possible and get the kids to ask questions. And um, language and speaking and language skills are a huge part of curriculum, that nice buzzword. Um, with, um, with composting, one of our goals next year is to supply schools with scale so that the kids are weighing how much food they're diverting from the landfill. Um, so that brings in some of their math and really, you know, figuring out um, how many kids need to bring in how many bags of food in order to feed the worms properly, how many pounds of worm can fit into the size bin that you have. So a real-world application for their addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Um, they're also, let me try to think of some more. So science is intrinsic in all of this, right? So they're learning about the carbon and nitrogen um, and how they break down the food. They're learning about anatomy of a worm. And they're doing all this in the context of one real-world problem as opposed to um, a sheet of multiplication problems, which, yeah, which, you know, is important. You need to know how to multiply. But sure. making that application for kids through this you know, your whole your whole radio network is about food and how important thinking about our food is, and using that as a way to get kids to think about all these other topics that are really important that they learn in order to get along in life is just, uh, you know, it's kind of like the the ultimate goal of teaching. Um, and you kind of talked a little bit too about how schools are moving away from that. And I think what's tough is. And what we look for, too, from donors and from um, our income, what we're getting in, is we want to subsidize a lot of schools that maybe get a bad rap, that they're teaching rote instruction, um, but really what they are is functioning off of the bare minimum, right? So they don't have a PTA with a huge bucket of money to provide all the materials to do this hands-on education. So we think that's really important um, that we are able to subsidize the more um, the more low income school districts. Yeah, sure. And I think too, I mean, on some level, it's kind of like uh, trickery. You know, you're like you're having learning while having fun, and I think that's something we talk about a lot on the network is that you know the topics um, around food in our food system are are big, and and in many cases they're like dire and scary and overwhelming, but. Um, in order to kind of engage people in those conversations and to get people involved in a way that feels personal and meaningful, like there has to be a component of pleasure. There has to be a component of fun and, um, and creates like buy-in into that like system, into those process. So, um, speaking of like the program development for city growers, you know, as director of education, when you sit down and you're like, all right, 2016, what are we going to do? Um, can you talk a little bit about like what things are like kind of on your list, um, on your, and what things you were are kind of like reaches or wishes and like, um, maybe also sharing a little bit of like stuff you thought was going to be really like a home run and you're kind of like, yeah, it actually didn't really work. So, um, one of your questions was about reaches and wishes and we're kind of all about those. You know, we like to have big goals in our work. So one of the things, too, with working to make learning fun is having that information seep out at home, right? So teaching kids young and having that information kind of find its way back home and maybe um, 
maybe some parents who didn't know you could compost at home, right? Or why the city was putting those bins outside your house to collect your garbage, you know, why that's important or why that um, is something they should be thinking about. So those are, that's one of our big goals, I'd say. Um, We're also interested in having kids think about the intersection between food and our environment. So um, having kids up to the farm introduces them to some green space, which they maybe don't have a lot of access to, um, and then allows them to start thinking about you know, the food doesn't come from the grocery store. It comes from a place similar to this, but different in lots of ways. Um, we also want to promote healthy eating habits um, and um, kind of pro-environmental experiences for the kids. And lofty, more lofty goals. Um, we want to expand perspectives and widen horizons um, and create lifelong learners. And... This year, running our first after-school program with middle schoolers, um, we had a lot of trial and error. Um, And I'd like to think of a good example for you of something that maybe didn't go in the direction we necessarily wanted. We went... Hmm... I'm kind of stuck for a minute. Can we come back to that? Yeah, no, we can totally okay. come back to it. And also maybe you're like, I'm like kind of a good problem that nothing's coming to mind, right? No, there's definitely been a lot of <laughs> trial and errors. And we have a small, very, we're a very small organization, a small staff, but we spend a lot of time troubleshooting. You know, mm-hmm. three three of the four other staff members at City Growers are here at Roberta's today. And if you would have sat in on our conversation around the pizza, um, we're troubleshooting. That's what we're doing. We're trying to... Um, really figure out the best way to reach our goals in the short term and in the long term. One of the things, uh, gosh, I'm like coming back, I guess it's topical, but coming back again to uh, Inside School Food, because her episode this month, she was looking at school lunch programs. But one of the things they did in the episode that I thought was so interesting is they talked about what were the needs of students um, as they progressed through different levels. So what was a like what what do you need to think about with regards to kind of design and experience for a great lunch experience for kindergartners for middle schoolers for high schoolers like as your social experience is changing as you're going up in age the kind of stimuli and what folks will respond to needs to change so can you talk a little bit about because you guys work with K through 12 students like um how you kind of approach those different age groups and like, what are the, what are the kind of aha moments? Yeah. So one of the, um, one of the areas where this really comes into play is with our honeybee education. So we're one of the, if not the only organization in New York city offering a honeybee education workshop solely focused on the honeybee and with younger kids, with kindergartners say we have, an adorable, informative activity where the kids wear one kid's a bee and the two other kids are flowers. And we talk about pollination and how that works in this interactive play way. Um, With middle schoolers, we recently had a group of middle school girls up who they're walking around the farm, kind of feigning disinterest about everything. And then we get to the honeybees and they're wrapped with attention suddenly. And they want to know... Everything And so the conversation becomes geared toward um, how the worker bees who are female do all of the work in a hive and how the drones sort of mooch off of the 
work of the females and to make it accessible for these middle school girls, they're going, oh, yeah, that's just like, that's just like men. Um, <laughs> my brother my, or whatever. Yeah. And they're, they're talking about it and they're discussing it. Um, and then in just last week, we had a second grade boy up and we have an observation hive, this beautiful glass observation hive where the kids can see bees really doing their thing and on top of honeycomb and um, someone asks, what do the worker bees do? What do the drones do? And we're talking about it. And this little boy starts to cry. The second grade boy starts to tear in his eyes because it's he, because of the implications of what we're saying, you know? So it's really important too, that we take time to, although it's really easy to anthropomorphize bees to explain, no, these are adaptations and kids in second and third grade. That's what, that's what they're learning. They're learning about animal and plant adaptations and a drone, the male bees don't have wax cells in their stomach. So they can't build a comb. They don't have a stinger. So they can't guard the hive. These are, you know, while it's funny to apply it to humans, it's really just about their physical adaptations. So that's really interesting. The middle school girls don't, you know, they were like, yeah, totally. (laughs) That makes sense. And then this poor kid is like, what are you saying? What's my future? <laughs> well, um, we are going to take just a short uh, station break to hear from our sponsor. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Courtney from City Growers. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Visit a farm. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips, including orchards, farms, and wineries. Or come by Escape Maker's Yellow Tent in Grow NYC's Green Markets and pick up a guide to local agritourism escapes to the Green Market's own farmers and producers. The guide will be updated seasonally to feature farms, wineries, and destinations in New York City, New York State, New Jersey, Vermont, and Pennsylvania. Plus, Escape Maker will offer overnight packages to these destinations so you can get the full experience. No car? No problem. Escape Maker features plenty of ideas for car-free getaways, including discounts via Amtrak. There's no better time to explore outside the city. Soak up the fresh air and scenery like a butterfly and support your local farmer. Log on to escapemaker.com to get inspired and make your escape through the net. What an appropriate drop for today. Thank you, Liz, uh, over there in the engineering booth. We are talking with Courtney Epton of City Growers, uh, a great program um, around K-12 education here in the city of New York. So one of the other programs that you guys do, uh, I love the name Insect Investigators. Um, this sounds like a class I would have signed up for as a kid. What's, what is the story? Where did this idea come from? Um, I don't know how well I can speak to where the, where it came from, but except to say that, you know, kids love bugs and bugs are really important on the farm. Um, and what happens, so insect investigators starts in May and goes, goes through the end of the growing season. Um, and all of a sudden on the farm right now, if you went up all of a sudden 
It's like there were hardly any insects to boom. Everywhere you look, there are insects. There are ladybugs. There's ladybug larvae. There are butterflies everywhere. There are bees everywhere. Um, so for this program, teachers bring their groups up and they they become insect investigators. They get a magnifying glass. They get really serious about it. One of the cover crops on the farm is clover, which is an amazing habitat to many of these insects. So the kids are, they have insect ID cards um, on a little string that tell them a little bit about we call them our farm friends and farm foes. Um, really, all insects create, you know, the space we're in, but some of them eat the plants and some of them help the plants, right? So they're looking for these insects and connecting it back to the information on the on the card. Um, they're learning about honeybees on that visit as well. Learn a lot about our worms on that visit. Um, and... Um, it's really fantastic. The kids just, they feel like they are in, I think they lose sight of where they are because they're so focused on um, looking for these insects and making sense of what's going on in front of them. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. I remember for me, kids just like kind of having a job or like a mission. I was like, really, yeah, you know, you really kind of like drill down on that focus. Well, you had mentioned that you've been working um more on a regular basis with the school in Clinton Hill, but the honeybee program, the insect investigators, these types of programs, is it normally like classrooms from across Brooklyn and Queens that just come for the day or a couple of weeks or like, how does it work for, you know, classes or educators to, to work with you? So schools from across all five boroughs, I believe we've even had students from Staten Island come for 90 minute workshops and some teachers bring their groups for one 90 minute workshop. And those workshops are our Farm Explorer, which is a general urban ag overview, insect investigators, and our honeybee education. Some teachers have the opportunity to bring their kids back multiple times. And for those teachers, we have farm intensives where they'll come for four weeks, four, four sessions over the course of four weeks um, to get a more in-depth view of what's going on on the farm. One of those programs is called Growing Urban Farmers. And the students come up and they have a compost day, an insect day, um, a harvest day. So they, I'm forgetting, I can't, I'm losing it. So they have a more intense experience with those. Um, and then our other intensive is called Rainbow on Your Plate, where each session culminates with kids harvesting food from our learning bed and sharing a meal at the table together. What's a learning bed? So our learning bed, so the farm is a for-profit business. We have one plot where we grow food for the express purpose of tasting, touching, and teaching with the kids. And we call that our learning bed. Awesome. So it's not like the kids are like running rampant over the, over right. the whole space. Well, you know, I feel like um, when folks kind of get engaged in the conversation of urban agriculture, to, to my way of thinking, things get kind of like a little crazy really fast. Um, and I, I think, you know, you talk about these kind of like upstate, downstate tensions and like, how are we going to feed the world and where is food really going to come from? And, you know, you can definitely go down um, a path of a lot of different opinions in, in this space. But to me, one of the primary benefits of urban growing spaces is as education tools, is as uh, demonstration, de demonstration spaces and the opportunity to really engage urban dwellers with the natural environment. Um, so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about 
you know, attaining those goals. And like, you know, if you're thinking specifically about New York City kids, like, why is it important that these kids have this experience? And what's the uh, like, what are the opportunities that they can have for a more like long term relationship with ag or the environment? I mean, through the City Growers Program or other programs? Well, through the City Growers Programming, um, exactly what you were just talking about is often our opening conversations with kids. So we ask them to talk about farms that they've been to before and farms they've seen um, and then how this farm is different. And And our big question is, why do you think the founders of the farm decided to build this farm here? Um, and answers range from uh, to get a beautiful space, they get good sunlight, um, to, to more in-depth answers about green roofs and um, clean air and the urban heat island effect. Um, and I think opening up those conversations within that incredibly beautiful, breathtaking space is really powerful for kids. Um, recently, we had a high school group up and the farm staff was having their lunch. And one of the kids, he was sort of, hadn't really talked much. And all of a sudden he goes, they get paid to do this? He was like, I can't. It, it was like a, a whole new world for him thinking about green jobs and what that could look like. Um, so, you know, kids... They don't always make the jump to can can urban farming feed the world, mm-hmm. um, but they are thinking about why is this here? Why is this important? Um, uh, are are they organic here? Are they using pesticides? And why do large farms use pesticides? And why why is that a why is that a decision people make? You know, and so they're thinking about these things, and the hope is that it they continue to think about them, right? And make some decisions and really become the stewards of our environment and especially of our urban environments. Yeah. Like, well, so you did mention that, um, you know, the Brooklyn Grange is a for-profit farm. Um, they have partnered with city growers to kind of offer up their space as this education tool. But you guys are in charge of your own financing, your own fundraising. So where does the money come from to support your work? So we have some partners, um, but the a big portion of our money comes from grassroots fundraising. Um, right now, we're nearing the end of our spring campaign. It's ending this Sunday, which is the summer solstice. thought that was a nice, fitting ending. Um, and our goal is to raise money to continue to expand our programming to more and more kids around the city. Um, and it's a simple grassroots fundraiser, like I said, so donations can be made online. Um, they're tax deductible and yeah, it's, it's a yeah. sick visit citygrowers.org. Citygrowers.org. Yes. Yeah. And, and give some money to support some programming. So, um, do you guys have a specific goal in mind um, or something that you like have to meet? Well, our goal is $25,000. Um, we're currently, believe we're about halfway there, maybe a little more than halfway. So this is really our big final push, um, heading into the weekend. And we feel strongly that there's a lot of supporters out there that, you know, want to bring this kind of programming to kids. So we feel confident that we'll meet our goal. That's exciting. Well, I definitely hope, and I, I'll definitely be part of the crew <laughs> heading to cityagrowers.org to, to chip in a, a couple of bucks. I always have to make the like, you know, coffee, beer, cocktail argument, right? You're like, do one less. Just, um, yeah, one night. 
Yeah, what, what, one night, one night off, one morning off. Um, <laughs> it can go a lot of uh, a long way for organizations like this. But I do know that like not everyone is in the position to give, and that there's a lot of other like valuable ways that people can contribute. So maybe we can talk about some of those. Yeah. So on our website, we have a get involved tab, and you can sign up to volunteer at various um, events that we help we hold. Um, right now, we also have our first family farm day this Saturday at the farm in Long Island City, which is on Saturdays, the farm itself has their farm stand and city growers will be up there offering free family friendly workshops and activities. Um, So bring your family up, get to know us. We'd love to kind of get to know you and talk about the farm and what's going on with city growers and to meet your kids. Yeah. Have like your own, uh, urban, urban field trip, right? Yeah. And it's a, it's a wonderful field trip. The farm in Long Island city is really easily accessible, even though it is in Queens. (laughs) (laughs) I rode my bike there. I rode my bike there from here in Bushwick. It took me about 25 minutes and nice little ride. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also right off the train, which the farm in the Navy Yard is a little more difficult to get to. So Long Island city is, um, a quick train ride away, and suddenly you're in another world, and it's a really beautiful one. Awesome. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for taking some time to come and join us here in the studio, and definitely best of luck in in your campaign, and definitely keep us posted. Thanks, Erin. Thank you. Um, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will be on the line kicking off our Escape Maker segment uh, preview. We're talking about yoga and farming, so hang tight. We'll be right back. We are back. You are listening to the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network, and we are kicking off our Escape Maker segment. This uh, week, we are joined on the line by Abby Paloma. She is the co-owner of Growing Heart Farm and the founder of Farm to Yoga. Abby, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Erin. It's great to have you on. So, um, Growing Heart Farm, you guys are a little different than the other producers that we've had on. You do a CSA share and a a wonderful kind of lineup of vegetable productions, but you also have a really interesting kind of yoga component um, that people can partake in. How did did this farm get started? Uh, So Growing Heart Farm, we're entering our sixth growing season, and it was started by... uh, Louis Kosky, who's my business partner on the project, and um, I was a yoga teacher before I started farming, and uh, as soon as I got there and got my hands in the dirt, I was just really searching for a way to connect my background in teaching yoga and the yoga community to 
uh, food and farming. So um, it really, the first event that we hosted that involved everything was really just by accident of the end of our first fall season. We had extra produce. We invited a chef up to cook. I taught a yoga class, and we had, like, a big farm-to-table dinner yoga party is what we called it, which later evolved into our current um, project, which is Farm to Yoga. And uh, for me, it's just a really important opportunity to bring the yoga community, which cares so much about their body and health consciousness, to a place where we start caring about our farmers and uh, the stewardship of our land. So it's a really great educational opportunity for me to provide to my community. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about the folks, like if we come out to do kind of a farm to yoga experience, what's that look like? Yeah, so we're, especially coming out of New York City, we're right on the Metro North train line, so it's really easy to get to. Um, You literally take the train right from Grand Central up to, uh, we're on the Harlem Valley Wingdale stop, and then it's a, a short walk actually from the train station to the farm. And then um, we come up to the farm, we have snacks, and we do a farm tour, which is my favorite part of the day, leading the farm tour. Um, And then we have a yoga class with live musicians out in the field. And then um, we have a big, like, table that we put right in the field, and we serve a farm-to-table dinner. And some people... Um, go home after dinner, just back on the train. We also have um, a lot of camping uh, opportunities. We have platforms and have fires and composting toilets and all that. So some people stay over and camp as well. So can you talk a little bit about what you think um, yoga and your practice of yoga brings to farming and then vice versa, what the practice of farming brings to your yoga practice? Um, Well, Yoga, the word literally, you know, means to yoke or union. And uh, in the process of understanding, you know, the union of body-mind or body-spirit of any of these aspects, it really comes back to what is what we are at our essence. And so as I was kind of understanding farming and, you know, who we are through the soil and what we're eating, um, it really just became more of a spiritual practice to connect to the food that I'm eating and supporting this interdependent loop of people in our community. Um, and I think that as, as a, you know, for farmers as well, yes, it's important they're bending over on all sorts of different positions, which is nice for them to bring some mindfulness to how they move. So there is a big impact of connection how yoga connects to farmers. But it's, I think it's really just a greater idea of how to take responsibility for our communities, for our families, for ourselves through what we're eating and through the planet to making the, the small footprint that we do and caring about good farms and good food. Yeah, I have to say, I was recently um, out in Napa Valley visiting one of our longtime supporters, Kane Vineyard and Winery, and there at the winery, they start every morning um, with a yoga circle, and it's, you know, it's like a 10-minute kind of series of movements designed to kind of get folks, you know, ready and oriented to the day, to the day. and I think in the food community more broadly, there's definitely... I feel like we're seeing more and more of a a focus on kind of health and wellness. Um, And it's really interesting to me to see kind of different chefs 
starting to talk with their young cooks in particular mm-hmm. about really caring for your body as much as you're caring for the development of your skill set as it relates to to cooking. So definitely like you know, and as a yoga practitioner myself, I like definitely it sounds like a really lovely kind of way to to spend uh, an evening or a weekend. One of the other things I thought was interesting about your farm um, on the website, you know, you talk about the fact that you use hand tools, that there's a wood heated greenhouse. Um, I'm wondering if like solar the, panels. Exactly. So can you talk a little bit about the, the, the inputs to the farm and how you think about kind of tools and energy use? Yeah, well, we're extremely small scale. We are not a production farm. Like, we are producing, um, you know, for 50 CSA shares and then for the events and some local shares here and there. And um, my background is in permaculture as well, and so is Lewis's and the people that we work with. And it's really about making sustainable uh, systems at the farm. So... The huge change for us was when we implemented the composting toilet because we were, you know, have, we'd have hundreds of people up for different events and we, you know, it's not, it's not sustainable for the septic, not sustainable for all these things, other, you know, it's other wear and tear on the house. And so, you know, composting toilet was a huge implement to be that fertilizer back to the forest. We have a lot of forest on the land and, um, and also just being mindful of what our energy inputs are of water. We try to, um, for a while we were using our spring fed gravity system to feed our our fields with water so that there was not the uh, electrical input um, or tapping the well as well. Um, and then a lot of people, a lot of farmers spend a lot of energy and money to heat greenhouses for the winter to get their starts going. So having a wood fire, um, all the wood that we used, we burn is from trees from our the piece of land, and uh, that keeps that our greenhouse, which is attached to the farmhouse, um, warm throughout the winter, which makes it, again, just more of a sustainable endeavor. So the the project is not necessarily trying to grow exponentially, but really trying to be sustainable through and through. I'm curious uh, what, how you guys have been received by other farmers and growers in the region. Um, there, I mean, like, no, no particular thing comes to mind. We, there's another community farm up in Wasaic that we're. Um, you know, that we're probably closest to. We are another farm, Judson, uh, that's close to us. They're more of a conventional farm. I think that, you know, we don't have a, a big relationship with them, but I think that we're doing things very differently from them, so they, they must not understand why you would want to produce on such a small level. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting, and I think always better for the agriculture community to have a, a diversity of producers and, and, like, the opportunity to kind of learn from each other. One of the other things that you are personally really into is um, medicinal herbs and salves. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yes. I, I'm actually studying Chinese medicine currently, um, and so... I'm really interested in herbalism, and I've developed a, a medicinal herb garden at Growing Heart Farm. And uh, the study for me has just been a gradual study of curiosity, of learning what plants do and how they can help us and 
you know, what the idea of toxicity is actually a relative concept in medicine. Um, it's all about correct dosage. Um, and every plant has a function and has a use, whether it's toxic or uh, beneficial. And, um, yeah, I'm still, it's something I'm still studying and passionate about uh, how plants can teach us about our own bodies and our own health. Are there kind of go-to remedies that are, are kind of regulars on, on your path? Um, one of my favorite plants is a plant called holy basil or tulsi, and uh, it's a it's a big one. I also like to you know teach about at the farm to yoga events. It's um, what they call an adaptogen, which means that it can bioregulate the body in both directions. And it's also a plant that has been used by Ayurveda for thousands of thousands of years, which is the sister science to yoga, and um, and it's in. Sanskrit, they use the word sattvic, which means uh, the plant is basically saying it's adaptogenic, meaning it's the most truthful plant. It's the most balancing plant. And um, so it's a really fragrant plant. It's nice to make teas. um, I've made salves out of it. It's uh, just a lovely plant to have in the garden. The bees love it. So. Oh, that sounds lovely. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm like balancing. I think we could probably um, all strive to have a little bit more of that in our lives. Well, um, we are just yeah. about out of time, but I wanted to get a sense of what you're looking forward to uh, coming up this summer. And if there's anything in particular that listeners should get excited about or, or put on their calendars. Yeah, well, our first event at Growing Heart Farm is July 11th. Um, with, we have... Pepper Monroe and Jessica Kaplan coming up from the city to teach and um, some live music by Pink Sun and then Rachel Crocker is actually chefing all of our events and um, it's just going to be a really sweet season that we have some, we have a new orchard at the farm which I'm excited to show people on the farm tour and some new sculptures around the farm as well and then after July 11th we're up for August 8th and September 13th Awesome. Abby, thank you so much. It's been really great having you you on. So if folks want to find out more about Growing Heart Farm, they can definitely check out the website, growingheartfarm.com. And for more uh, excellent uh, weekend getaways and trip ideas, definitely visit our friends at escapemaker.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Farm Report. We are coming at you live every Thursday. You can download our podcast for free on iTunes or Stitcher. If you have a sec, please leave a review. Really helps other people find the show and helps us know a little bit more what you like, what you don't like, uh, what you want to see more of. This program, like all 39 of our our weekly shows, can also be found on our website. We are a member-supported nonprofit radio station. So if you like what you're hearing, please click that Donate tab and become a member today. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. 
to donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.